Welcome to episode 710 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 710 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsman, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Well, I'm boxing on, Bevan. How about yourself? You're in the, you, we're, not, we're not in the studios today. We're doing it over Skype. John was away for a romantic weekend. He's got back. He's too fatigued. Yes, it was, it was tiring stuff. No kids. No kids. <laughs> no kids. Vigorous weekend. Let's leave it at that. Uh, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by our patrons. John, let's name a few. Tim Beastie Besant. We've got David the Great Greyhound Hutchins. And Ken Rockin' the Free World Young. And this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic. We've got, are we going to do the Age Group of the Week? No. No, no, no. I've got two interviews. John, tell me who's on the show. So we've got uh, Dee Dee Griesbauer and Jordan Bryden, who Dee recently won Ironman, not Ironman, uh, won Ultraman in Florida, and then Jordan was part of her support crew, and if that name rings bells, he was the winner of Ironman, not Ironman, bloody hell, you, uh, win, win, winner of uh, Ultraman Hawaii, and we had him on the show not that long ago, and then we're going to have a quick catch up with Torsten, I pre-arranged to have a talk with him about uh, the rankings quite some time ago, before all this uh, virus had sort of started spreading around the world and he said is there still any point we don't know what the racing is going to happen but I said oh it's kind of cool to see how the rankings unfold it is a cool system that he's come up with and we have had some racing up to this point whether it's uh, the rankings are futile further down the track we'll wait and see but we have a quick catch up with Thorsten okay guys so obviously there's not a huge amount of racing happening right now but one that did happen over the weekend was Ironman 70.3 Camp- how do you say that uh, I think it's Campiche, Campiche. in the Latin American Tri-Club Championship. So I thought we often don't talk about uh, 70.3s too much, but this may well be the last race that we talk about for quite some time. Uh, so Matt Hansen took that out uh, on the run, as he often does, with a 115.47, beating out Jackson Lundry and Michael Weiss. I did note that Cody Beals had a bit of a bit of a shocker down there for whatever reason. It looked like he may have uh, had some issues on the bike and then uh, cruised home the run. He was only down 10th place after a fantastic year last year. And then on the female side, a little bit of a surprise there, um, Jackie Herring beat out comfortably Sarah True um, running a 123.54. Sarah True looked like she had a bit of a detonation on the run with a 132, um, and she finished seven minutes down. So she was second, and Daniela Dingman was in third place. So great that they got a race last weekend, and that might be the last we see of racing for a little while. Uh, that's pretty much racy. Well, <laughs> it's, well, it's just it's 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 a pretty interesting year now, isn't it? It's you know obviously more important things are taking over in, in our lives right now, and racing obviously is taking a bit of a back step. But it is a fascinating moment. We've never seen anything like this in not just our sport, but in sport in general, really, have we? No, and it's changing by the second. So I've had an interesting last thirty six hours, and it's literally. You get one thing come in one moment and then an email comes in about 10 minutes later that completely uh, gazumps you. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to speculate on what the hell is going to happen because nobody really knows. Um, but I think it's fair to say for the next couple of months or at least the next six weeks, we're not going to have any racing. And then, fingers crossed, we, some sort of normality might come back. Well, I think one, one discussion, maybe we should even make this discussion. I know you've got a discussion, but or maybe maybe... 
something we need to think about is how do we support each other in the community? And like you put on Facebook out on our Facebook page a post from uh, Paul Charteris who puts on a trail running event. He's cancelled and he's just saying, kind of like as a race director, it's it's pretty tough right now, you know. And, and your your example of this, you've had to cancel your race next weekend. I know it's your big mm-hmm. race for the year, um, and just you know that as participants of races. Shit, if you can afford to not ask for a refund, maybe now's not the time. You know, like maybe for an Ironman it's different because it's such a big investment, but your local races, these people aren't printing cash. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a passion project. And he, and it's a good little post that John's put on IM Talk, and it's a great little post by this guy called Paul Charteris, and it's kind of just saying, you know, help, support, help us, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, and I mm. think there's a lot of that happening in the sport right now because there's a lot of people behind the scenes in the sport who put a lot of time and effort in and it's a pretty scary time for these people right now. And I just think as a community, just be aware of each other. And, you know, if you can afford not to ask for a refund in a race, maybe now's the time that we, that's a way you can support your race because it's got to be tough for a lot of people out there right now. It is. Uh, very, very tough. And, and you know, our sport, we don't want it to become just Ironman because they'll, somehow they'll survive. Yeah. Sure. Uh, They'll still take a gigantic hit, and I'd imagine a lot of people will lose their jobs potentially. Um, but for yeah, for your for your organisers and you know myself included, you know, it's uh, it's not as Bevan said, it's not a, a license to print money um, at all. And and then there's all the auxiliary people, you know. For example, you know when I cancelled uh, my race or postponed it, and I've had three races in the next 14 days that are going to be impacted. You know, there's a flow down effect for like the timing guy. You know, he's going to have no work for whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The guy who prints my um, race numbers he just said you know he's just all of a sudden overnight lost all basically all his australian and new zealand business uh so it is going to be very very tough and for you guys you know wanting to have a, a vibrant sport where you've got choice in terms of your events um especially on a, the local side of things um as we've said do, do what you can to support things and, and try to be as reasonable as you can so fingers crossed we can get all through this okay yeah like, I, I get if you really are in the deep end with your money then maybe it's fair enough but um, like I was meant to be doing the voice work at La Race this weekend and, and she's um, had to pull the plug because she had mm. to. Um, and, you know, she's saying, I just said her an email saying thinking of you because I know it's pretty tough. And she said, the thing is, you still got to pay your bills, mm. you know, and it's like, it's, and the thing is, for a lot of these races, they'll disappear if we don't support them. Mm, you know, totally. like if, if, if you can't, if, <clears throat> you know, again, these races aren't really printing cash. It, sure, they might make a little bit of money, but one year is often you're on the borderline so if you want mm. these races to survive we need to support them particularly mm. your local you know your local events so um while you may not be able to do much racing right now just as, as a part of a community and also in your community check in with your community because it's one of those times where i imagine everyone's feeling a slight level of stress right now there's, there's obviously di- different levels of, diff- of effective how, of how people are affected in their life but you know i just sent a message out to some of my mates yesterday saying you know you know you need to have a chat we're here you know like it's just mm. that this is one of those times, it's a bit of a scary time, it's very uncertain, a lot of people have a lot of stress, it's definitely a time where we all need to support each other, so just keep that in mind. John? On more, po- more positive news, we actually managed to record our second episode of Legends of Triathlon last week, so we'll be maybe releasing that uh, next week, and it's with one of the all-time legends, Dave Scott, uh, so we'll get that out to you guys shortly. Again, he's somebody who's, in a, you know, one of the reasons we got him on uh, to do an interview was he was having a camp that's coming up in France, which I think was in April, um, and... 
I'd imagine that's probably not happening now um, as well. So, you know, there's, there's lots of uh, coaches that are going to be negatively affected as well. But good to good to know we've got another Legends coming up your way. Uh, also, one of the other final races we had last weekend, and this is John's ITU update, was uh, really positive news for us Kiwis because we had the uh, Malulaba World Cup. Now, this is a very, very long-standing triathlon. Yeah, well, uh, what's the quality of the field there, John? Because... I know Malulaba is a historically a strong race, but it is a World Cup race. So, and the Kiwis did well. So, what what kind of the level of the field? Well, it's, it's definitely second tier. You know, there's no doubt. You didn't have many of the um, the, the, the big big Kona top ten on the on the, the men's side of it, but it's still. The sport now at the ITU level is so so competitive. Uh, so it was it was great racing. It's these days it's a sprint distance race uh, rather than being the Olympic that it used to be. Um, but uh, yeah, we had Ryan Sissons who just took off out of the run so he's a kiwi that's uh born in 88 so he's very much at the end of his career and he had a shocking season last year uh but he's been one of our leading kiwis for for a long long time um he went to went to the last olympics don't know no, if he... two. no because they had yeah. the news last night and he said he'd done two yeah. olympics this is the last chance and and he was certainly probably third or fourth on the uh, the rank Kiwi rankings going into the season, and went out there and just opened up a firecracker on the run. Just was looked like he was hurting after the first 500 metres, but just laid the smack down. Really? And uh, and I thought he's not going to hold on. He's not. But how did him and Wild break away? Uh, a little bit towards the end, yeah. but, but Sissons was pretty much on the front the whole way. And one thing we see with the ITU now is uh, it but basically became down the middle stage of the race to more of a, a running type, not not a track race, but it started becoming very uh, very tactical and a few surges here and there. Um, but in the end of it, Ryan Sissons managed to lay it all down and uh, just held off Hayden Wild, who had had a bike crash the day before, I believe. Uh, and Luke Willem from Australia was in third. A little bit of a shame that um, Alex Yee, I believe, had a bike crash, uh, so he wasn't really in the mix. But he would have it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had he um, had he been in the mix. He ran a fourteen fifty five which was basically the same as what Hayden Wild runs. So it would have been interesting to see if he'd been in the Kiwis because we had three in the top five, which is awesome. And then on the other side, on the females, uh, we also had Andrea Hewitt showing her cards, uh, finishing in fourth place, uh, just getting nipped by Ashley Gentle uh, and Vicky Holland, Georgia Taylor-Brown, you know, I wouldn't say they dominated, but they were they were up the road uh, a few seconds. So Vicky ta- Vicky Holland uh, took that race out. So that is it for the ITU because they have made an announcement that uh, that all racing is off for the foreseeable future, which means that. Who knows what's going to happen with regards to Olympic qualifying and obviously who knows what's going to happen even if the Olympics happen. But if they do happen, uh, I don't know how they're going to select these teams. New Zealand, you know, has really thrown a spanner in the works here with Ryan Sissons um, being up there. And so, yeah, if the Olympics happen, good luck to them selecting the teams. Okay, John, last week's discussion was do you invest any specific time in your schedule for mental conditioning, sports psychology, and or what have been the best tools you have used to improve your mental approach to training and racing? 
And I'll go first. Christine McKinley, the, the grinder. Uh, race frequency. By that I mean shorter BC races. Um, best way to learn about yourself and process. Pre-race routine, race plan, learning to be process focused. To improve mental side of your racing comes from within. And by that I mean every aspect of your life. If you struggle mentally and emotionally in relationships, the workplace, etc., then it's not going to go be any different racing. Self-awareness and a deep understanding of your inner self is what gives you the mental fortitude in racing, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with that more and you guys will know that I did uh, two little short course races fairly recently and and I've been in this game for bloody hell, what year are we in now, 2020? It's been a long time and I've done a lot of racing but for me the difference between race number one and race number two in terms of how sharp and focused I was was pretty significant so I couldn't agree with Chrissy more that doing some local stuff uh, and just getting stuck in is massively going to help your mental preparation for when it comes around to your your A race. Uh, I'll go James Thomas, the best mental preparation for me has been being present during each training session, easy, hard, short or long. It just helps my brain realise that I can do this or this too will pass. Um, Michelle Van Denverter has got, absolutely yes, I firmly believe that mental agility is as fundamental to your training as physical ability. I aim for 10 minutes each morning of me time to ensure that I've taken the time to check my attitude towards the day. The Headspace app is really useful for timed and guided meditations here. From a training perspective, it means that I am more able to be more present in the moment regardless of the session outcome and make most of the time available then and there. The second part is having a performance coach that truly understands training and racing and the stresses that can go with it. Being able to have weekly one-on-ones as well as joining up with similar-minded athletes on a daily basis is hugely helpful in ensuring that uh, you're in tune with your own why and therefore allows you to be more positive in your inner statements. Uh, She's coached by Tom Ward and she just thinks it's pretty great. Uh, Rob Lyons, he also sees the Headspace app twice daily since December 2018. Um, He's also said he read Sporting Body and Sporting Mind back in 1994. Can't say that I mastered it. And then he listens to the audible version of Steve Phillips' Chimp Paradox a couple of years back. So I just mentioned that book to me a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, Paula Ryan, practice, uh, practice close to race distance, e.g. 2.5k swim, 120 bike, and then a three-hour run. Practice nutrition, train in different weather conditions, do a standalone marathon. All these things help me complete my first Ironman at Taupo on the weekend. Just gone, uh, just gone. I was familiar with how I was feeling, and I knew I could finish because I'd been there. Brendan John Murray, he must have listened to last week's podcast with uh, Lucy Charles or maybe done, the, not, not Lucy Charles, Lucy Gossage. Uh, he said, Brendan John Murray said, leading into a race, I always start to write down my fears slash challenges I'll face and then construct positive actions or reference to combat both in the lead up to training or on race, and on race day. Then things become automatic. You're driving the ship then. Present moment of racing adds stimulus and there you are in the zone. Couldn't agree with you more there, Brendan. You've got to face those uh, challenges and fears uh, and try to come up with some strategies pre-race rather than in the moment. 
Yeah, uh, Ben Cobra's God. I do a lot of research and self-practice through reading and listening to podcasts. He says Bevan's got a good podcast, apparently. Thank you very much. Uh, highly recommend this book, The Confidence Gap, by Dr. Russ Harris. Being Plus being a coach, you become a psychiatrist anyway, and using those tools to help others can also help you by putting yourself in the same situation in racing and training when it's tough to practice over and over to get the experience to overcome the battles continuously. Sweet, Bevan. Um, so our thoughts, or what were your thoughts? I use a lot of mental tools, actually. Every day of my life I do. So I have my Bevan book. So every morning I wake up, and it's uh, it's like a 20-page PDF, which is a big it, – it's kind of who am I as a person. It asks some really big questions, reminds me of my values, and then I – have affirmations and stuff in there and then I have goals and focuses for the day and then w- once I read that I, I look at my calendar and then I, I mentally visualize my day and see my defining moments and what I'm looking for in my defining moments is how will I act when that that moment in the day comes along so what does I do is I scan my day because most days defined by three or four moments you know it might be a hard five minutes in a run it might be a focused bit of work it might be on my piano so I, it might be a tough confrontational conversation you need to have with somebody. And so I kind of see that moment before it, and then I plan how I will act in that moment. Um, obviously, you guys always give me shit, but my weekly meetings are a really important part of that. I think being very organized. present. Yeah, exactly. Bevan, but, anybody else present? Yeah, yeah, me, yeah, and Bevan and James. But it, it, like, I, I fundamentally believe organization allows you to be focused on what you're in present in right now. And so for me, having really great organization tools means that whatever I'm doing right now, I can give it 100% of my focus. Um, and then I lose, use a lot of tools when I'm not that I have raced in a while, but when I'm exercising at least, I always kind of think of perspectives, focuses, um, my whys, my motivation, even emotional tools. I always think that like in a race, I always go with a, a, quite a practical race plan, which allows me to get to the moment when I then go to emotional tools. Because I think that a, a good race plan allows you to get to the moment where you, you should tap into emotion. So if you're doing a half marathon, the last three Ks is about emotion. You know, the last three Ks is that who are you? You know, those deep, deeper questions and that deeper hurt. And so I use a lot of strategies around that. So I actually use, not just in racing, but day to day, like I write a journal every night, you know, I have a, before I go to sleep, I kind of reflect upon my day. I have a lot of mental tools that try to keep me at my highest level consistently in my life. So, and it works because I do feel I live in a good place the majority of the time. I think it's a good point there that you make about uh, the emotion side of things and tapping into that uh, in the early part of the race is, is not necessarily no. going to be particularly helpful. Uh, easier said than done. Obviously, when you're on the start line of, of a massive big event and there's thousands of people around, it's uh, sometimes pretty hard to control. But for me, as you guys know, I'm a lot more process-driven. Uh, and so for me, it is about having a race plan and working through that and having a written race plan and just going through all those moments that I know are going to be challenge, challenging and come up with strategies to, to deal with them and then another important part is to, is to do that analysis afterwards so this may not sound necessarily like um, mental preparation but for me it is it's about getting down you know after my first little race I did recently what were the things that I um, want to work on more and uh, and then try to execute them in the next race so for me it's much more process driven race planning race analysis and having um, having a plan for, for different eventualities that, that come out but it's in terms of other areas of life, uh, could definitely be something I can work on a bit more. 
Yeah, one thing I believe, I've, I, I talk about this a lot, is this kind of idea of what's your success formula. And the analogy I often use is that, the you know, you often see athletes who have an amazing athletic career, and then when their athletic career finishes, they kind of just, their life goes to custard. Mm. And so what they were was a good athlete, but didn't necessarily have many other areas of success points in their life. And then you look at other athletes who finish their athletic career and they go on to do amazing things in many other areas. Great example of that in New Zealand is Peter Snell, who recently died, but one of the greatest runners of all time, won two Olympic gold medals in, what was it, 800, wasn't it? 800, yeah, but it was, it was forte. And, and, and it was 1500 as well, wasn't he? Yeah, but 800 was, 800 was definitely his, yeah. his, his strong one. And, um, but he went on to have an amazing academic career. One of the New Zealanders <coughs> will know Richie McCaw. Richie McCaw is the All Black captain, won two World Cup you know, winning camp captain, you know, whatever Richie McCaw does next, he's going to be successful at. And mm. he knows how to be successful as a person. And that's what to me is, is in life, your job is to figure out the formula that helps you to be successful. And you just use your activities to understand that deeply. So I am man in my life taught me a lot about myself that I now take into other areas of my life. Piano, I love piano because piano, I'm learning so many levels of success that I would have never learnt from Ironman because piano is a different kind of skill, but then I'd bring that into business. And so it's all these little, it says, what's your success formula? And then once you understand your success formula, only what you're doing is just trying to duplicate it and be consistent with it. You know, so I go back to the things I was talking about, my, my, my Bevan book, my, my, my defining moments thing every morning. I know that if I do those every day, I just live at a higher level self. So once you understand your tools, a lot of people kind of get these peak moments and once they have their peak moments, they lose the tools that created that peak moment. You know, the great example of that is the, the weight loss journey. A lot of people, when they go to weight loss journey, they create behavior change which helps them to lose the weight. And then when they choose the weight loss that they desire, they let those behaviors slip away. And it's like, well, why would you do that? And so for me, it's like, ultimately what you want to do is figure out your success formula and then continually sit in it and then ultimately try to evolve it. So that's my thoughts on that, John. There you go. Um, just this week's discussion. This week's discussion, I thought, um, given there's a lot of uh, doom and gloom around the world at the moment, which is not good, uh, I thought, what steps have you made to stay positive during the current pandemic? Hmm, nice. Okay. There you go. Okay, good. Hopefully we can share a few people's thoughts and ideas so but we can all be positive. That's the second part, based on what we were talking about earlier as well. And also, how, how, what are you doing to support your triathlon community? Add that in when you put it up there, Bevan. I'll put that in right now. Give you free free You do 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 the intro to the interview, and I'll write that down right now. Okay, so uh, you might give this intro twice because we've got an interview with Dee Dee Griesbauer and Jordan Bryden. Dee Dee won the Ultraman Florida a few weeks ago and very nearly pulled the pants down on all the boys. She was leading after day two. Uh, her running is not her forte and she did get run down but still finished in second overall, which is amazing. And I just also thought it was really cool to get her on because you will hear, you, you may or may not know that she is the voice or one of the voices of the, a lot of the Ironman Now coverage and and sometimes I think people sit back and go, who are these people? Don't have a clue. And she's a very accomplished uh, athlete, triathlete, swimmer. And, and the same applies for Michael Lovato, who's on there. Sometimes uh, people don't realize that in his day, he was a very good athlete and probably doesn't uh, get enough credit for how good he was. So here comes Dee Dee and Jordan. Okay, guys, uh, this has been a few, a few weeks in the building, but if, uh, not too long ago we had Ultraman... 
on in Florida and we had uh, as we reported on the podcast a few weeks ago we very nearly had a female overall winner Dee Dee Griesbauer um, absolutely smoked the race and finished second overall winning the females race at her first attempt at Ultraman for you guys that don't know uh, anything about Dee Dee you may have heard uh, the voice uh, she's one of the, the, the co-hosts of a lot of the Ironman live coverage uh, she's a three time Ironman winner three times top ten in Kona and as I said uh, recently uh, smoked uh, Florida Ultraman. So welcome along to the show, uh, Dee Dee. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And, um, and we've also got Jordan Bryden, who we had on recently when he won Ultraman Hawaii, and he's also um, a fantastic designer of some of our Epic Camp gear and I Am Talk gear and so on. Uh, so Jordan was support crew, so we've got him on the line as well uh, to give a bit of insight into what he saw from the other side of the fence. So welcome back, Jordan. Hey, yeah, super excited to be back with you guys. Good to hear from you. Cool. Right, Dee Dee, um, I've given a, 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 you know, a tiny little insight into your background, but maybe just fill us in a bit more about you know, where, where you've come from, because um, I know you had a very strong swimming background, and, and then you obviously got into triathlon. So maybe give us your sort of you know, one to two minute elevator pitch of, of your sort of triathlon history. Uh, sure, no problem. Um, as you mentioned, I came from a strong swimming background. Um, I was a swimmer growing up and swam collegiately, was part of the U.S. national team from 1989 until 1994. Um, took a bit of a, <clears throat> a holiday from organized uh, sport and worked eight years on Wall Street. I got my MBA at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and then went to work on Wall Street. Uh, I worked for two years for an investment bank in Manhattan uh, before my husband and I relocated to Boston, where I worked for a mutual fund company uh, before deciding to chuck all of that aside and uh, become a professional triathlete. Uh, and uh, I did that in 2004, five, four. Five, five, 2005. I sound like an yeah. old person. I am an old person, so I'm allowed to have, <laughs> I'm allowed to have mental issues like that. Um, yeah, 2005, uh, quit my job and uh, started racing professionally, and have been doing it ever since. Yeah. What was it like oh. at that moment to, um, you know, because you, you're in the financial world, it's quite a well-rewarded world financially. Um, yes. You know, and obviously you're doing pretty well in it. To to kind of cut the cord on that and go to be a pro triathlete, which obviously isn't the same kind of level of finances, and I'm sure you're doing it for a passion decision, but it was also a pretty challenging life decision. What made you do that, and what made it easy to do that, or what were the challenges around that? It was, well, it was a terrifying decision. It really was, but the honest the, the honest truth of it was, when we made the decision, my coach at the time, I worked with Karen Smyer. She was my very first coach um, in the sport, and she was the one that actually suggested it, and the honest truth of it, when I suggested it to my husband, he was like over the moon. He's like, oh my gosh, if you don't go in and quit your job, I'm going to go quit it for you. <laughs> and um, he, so he was fully on board. But but the honest truth of it is we really thought it would be a year or two. Like we both kind of thought I would suck at it and, and I would be right back in a job <laughs> a year <laughs> or two later. But uh, here we are some, I don't know, 15, 16 years later and, uh, and never went back. And, and it is... Obviously, it was not a financial decision to quit my otherwise well-paying job on Wall Street and uh, and become a pro triathlete. But uh, you know, you can't take it with you when you go. And and we have a great life and 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 have really no regrets uh, in making the decision. I'm convinced that we're happier and, and a lot healthier as a result of it. 
Mm. So you had some some really good success at Ironman, three-time Ironman winner, and, and you know three times in the top ten in Kona. And and, uh, and I know even since then, since maybe things have, as you said, maybe you've got uh, a little bit older, you've still had some really good success, and we still see your name um, popping up in results here and there. So what was the motivation uh, to go and do Ultraman? Uh, well, I have had, I've had a handful of friends now do it. Um, initially, Hillary Biscay, I was very good friends with. Uh, we raced a similar style of racing um, back when Hillary was in the peak of her Ironman racing. And, and she was the first one I knew to have done Ultraman. And um, I actually had done a training camp in Tucson with Hillary and her husband, Mikey. And Hillary was doing a talk at a tri shop about her Ultraman experience. And I just went and sat in the back and listened and was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was like, this is so incredible and a little bit crazy. Um, and it just sort of planted the seed in the back of my, my head. And then uh, last year uh, here in Boulder, my good friend Chris McDonald raced Ultraman Florida and won it. And then, of course, Jordan, who is one of my my training partners on the JD crew, went and raced Ultraman Canada and then capped that off with winning the Ultraman world title in November. And so I was surrounded by all of these people and I just kept thinking, well, if they can do it, I certainly have to have a crack at it. So, yeah, I finally decided to, to sign up. <laughs> when, you, when you start to think about going from Ironman, where you're you know, a very high-level Ironman, and then you're shifting to a similar sport, but kind of a different sport in some ways, what changes about how you approach it? Well, I was fortunate in that I had a lot of really good resources around me. Um, as I said, Jordan and I share a coach in Julie Dibbins. And so I knew that Julie had successfully brought Jordan um, both to his victory at Ultraman Canada and obviously the Ultraman world title. And I know that uh, sort of on my behalf, as well as Jordan's, uh, Julie had spent some time talking with Chris McDonald about his Ultraman experiences and, and really um, tried to study up as much as she could on on how to prepare us you know, differently than, than Ironman. But, but the fact of it is, I mean, I've been swimming competitively since I was probably six years old. And other than my little break on, on Wall Street, I just have the aerobic engine. Like I have, you know, 45 years of aerobic durability in my body. And so I think if I'm not well trained for it now, I don't know when I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so Jordan, if we can check a few comments from you, because obviously it's um, yeah completely different. You being on the other side of the fence. Um, what did you? Um, well, first, I guess how did um, Didi sort of approach you, and, and what what were your sort of experiences that you thought you could kind of bring to the table to to make it a uh, you know a good experience for Didi and and help her um, achieve her goals. No, yeah. no, 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 no talking about the bribes, Jordan. That that stays oh, between yeah. you and me. Yeah. <laughs> and the percentage <laughs> of the, the percentage of the massive prize purse that you probably yeah, brought exactly. home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety percent of zero is still zero. <laughs> <laughs> so she knows the Wall Street stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Didi and I actually did um, a couple training sessions together on our own when I first joined together with the team in La Cruces uh, of last year and I was still coming over some pretty serious concussion issues. Um, and it just gave us time to talk. And uh, I I originally had said that I had done the Ultra 5 uh, 20 race, which also takes place in Penticton. Um, and it just kind of started our narrative at that point um, early in the year in um, February. And I had mentioned that I was going to go to Canada and that this distance is something that, you know, you can't really explain as much as you try to. It's It's... Um, it's a different type of experience. It has a lot more to do with 
um, your own personal intrinsic motivation as as well as like the community that helps you get to that finish line. So um, we started um, talking there and then I did a camp in Boulder and um, it was at that point Dee Dee was like, you know what, like that craziness that you you like doing, I think I want to do that too. So um, it, it just created a, a new sense of camaraderie and um, Dee Dee did mention at that point, probably in June or July, that, you know, it's something that she saw in her future, um, just didn't know when, right? And uh, so at that point, it was it was also just nice to kind of have someone else on the team that had that, um, that motivation to do something that was just a little bit farther outside of the box than the, the standard mm-hmm. distance. Um, and I think... You know, I grew up in a swim club as well, and I know some of those workouts that Dee Dee went through in the same sort of capacity. And I really think that that background of, you know, 10, sometimes 12, um, two-hour workouts a, a week can really create a different type of mental understanding and uh, mental fortitude that really can be quite important and uh, helpful in, in Ultraman racing. So what, what did you... Um, what did you in your mind, you know, going into the race, what did you learn from your experiences going really long that you thought I've really got to hammer this home with Dee Dee as she's sort of going through the race, you know, you know from whether it was from Hawaii or whether it was from Canada, what, what were those key things or key struggles that you went through that you thought you could help her with? Yeah, there, um, I think it's just also came down to just being able to train sessions with Dee Dee. We did one, um, pretty much 300k ride from steamboat springs back to boulder at the end of a camp last summer and the first thing happened dd had a, a really tough few days going into that ride um and we were half hour in and we were going up uh, probably an hour long climb and she was like she was sucking wind she was really hurting <laughs> you know right off the bat and like just to stay with julie because she she would that girl will just never let dibbins's wheel go if right. she had, it's like she just i don't know what it is with you d but <laughs> if julie's with you you refuse to let her uh, take off from you <laughs> so um that was you know definitely a key indicator that like her her motivation is going to be very focused on the outcome and in ultraman you have to be a little bit more intrinsic and a little bit more listening to your body you can't you can't race off of someone else you need to take your own personal um agenda and strive to make that the best race possible and i guess that that was an indicator but the other part of it obviously is just um dd's mental capacity of of strength and focus and determination is something that you know you don't see all the time i've you know i've trained at a sutton squad with nicola and daniela and like she's on that same level when it comes to being able to focus it's just a matter of like tuning your focus into the right capacity and and like just understanding um the other thing obviously that i noticed is that like she just didn't really have a the clearest um idea of adaptability on race day like this i think with iron man you know you can very carefully plan out what your nutrition strategy is going to be and what you're going to take when um but that's, you just have to be much more adaptable and you have to be um, very fluid in your response to the changes that happen during an Ultraman because, you know, it's not just like you're responding to just weather on that day. You're responding to your body's own ability to process nutrients, um, you know, what other people are doing. It's, it's just extremely dynamic, but it's also, um, 
it's also very lonely in a lot of ways because you spend a lot of time just in your own head for those three days. Mm. So that was kind of where my focus was is I just wanted to be there in the capacity to be able to support Dee Dee in her decisions, but then also realize the points in the race where um, I had to take over the decisions for her. Um, mm. and, and I knew that she would have like a good amount of trust in me and Julie to do that. And uh, it was just kind of playing it by ear and lending strengths to Dee Dee up until the points where, you know, inevitably you have um, <laughs> those tired legs catch up with you. Uh, let's talk about the race, Dee Dee. So maybe we'll start with you. Just talk us through your race. Obviously, it's a kind of big experience. Maybe just tell us about how all three days went. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, I only have a single data point, so I have nothing else to compare it to uh, in terms of, you know, other Ultraman experiences. But I, I couldn't have imagined it going all that much better. Um you know, I, I was as organized as I could have been, I think, not knowing what I was getting into. I was as well organized as I think I, I could have been. And um, the, the the biggest key for me, and, and I've had a couple of people ask, like, oh, I'm thinking about doing Ultraman. Like, you know, do you have any advice? And and the biggest key for me was having an amazing crew. And and that includes Jordan and Julie and my husband and, you know, my, my another training partner, Katie. Um, these are just people that I know. And as Jordan said, I trust. Um, and, and really once, once the gun went off on day one, I, I truly did surrender entirely to my crew because I, I had no ego about this. I had no experience with this. Um, and, and I just trusted the people around me to be able to see things that I couldn't process myself and really just decided, look, I'm not going to be a brat. I'm not going to put up a fight. If they say, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to change your pace. This is what you need to eat. This is what you need to drink. This is when you need to stop and walk. This is when you need to slow down. This is when you need to speed up. And I just absolutely, I did it to the best of my ability. Um, so I was pretty calm going in. I had a little, a little mini meltdown um, about 10 minutes before the start of the race. It just, I think it all <laughs> hit me at that point. Um, the nerves just kicked in um but I, I i spent about two minutes freaking out and then i got it back together and um it was the water was dead calm when we started it looked like glass um and so we got going and about 3k in i noticed that it started to drizzle and about by about four or five k it was just downpouring and about five minutes later i couldn't see julie anymore in the kayak like mm. i felt like i was in the sinking of the armageddon like a, a, <laughs> a, a fronted or sinking of the titanic rather um a front had blown through and and meanwhile back in transition my husband made a joke he's like they were telling us to seek shelter he's like i felt pretty soft because i was running to the car so i wouldn't get wet when i knew my wife was out there swimming 10k and in these awful conditions he's like and here i am sitting in a car so i don't get wet but um yeah it was it was quite windy and it, it the temperature dropped quite a bit and uh, it was fairly dramatic out there, and I just kept thinking for the second half of the swim, well, if it's this hard for me, like half the field in this race is going to be gone, like out by the time we even get out of the swim. There's no way people are going to survive this. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and was really thankful to just get two feet on dry land. And once I hit dry land, literally my crew took over. It was like a conveyor belt. Like somebody pulled my wetsuit off. Somebody else pulled my race kit up. Somebody was putting calories in. Somebody else was putting my socks and, and, and bike shoes on and, and Jordan held my bike. And all of a sudden I was off on my bike and, and 
Um, the power came really easily day one. Nutrition was was really smooth day one, and uh, it went it went really really well. Um, so we were pretty confident. I knew each day for me, given my strengths and weaknesses, was going to get harder. Um, so day two, we had some problems with nutrition almost right out of the gate. In that my nutrition plan wasn't going according to plan. And about 45 minutes in, you know, somebody on my crew, Katie's like, what do you need? What do you need? I was like, I really need to stop throwing up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and literally like, and I've said this so many times, Jordan really saved the day. I mean, there's just something about Jordan, like not only his experience, he's just his influences. Like he's a chill dude, man. He lives in a van. Like he's just so (laughs) like, laid back and, and easygoing. And he just right away, he's, he shoved something in my jersey pocket at a stop sign. He's like, eat this in the next 30 minutes. And so I just, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can get that down. But I was like, just do it. So I just started nibbling. And all of a sudden, my stomach sort of came right. And they basically abandoned my nutrition plan and sort of came up with their own based on my energy levels and things I was saying about how I was feeling. And so essentially every time they handed me something, I tried to eat it um, and and really just sort of they, they took over the, the whole thing. I felt really good um, once my stomach came around. Um, and the last probably 30 minutes or so, um, Julie just said, you know, shut it down. Um, mission accomplished. We've got a big day tomorrow. So just spin it home. And so the last 30 minutes, I just sort of cut the power and, and, and was light on the legs uh, into the end of day two. So uh, we finished day two pretty confident. I was surprised. I was less surprised after day one to hold on to the overall lead, just given my swim background. Um, mm-hmm. But by day two, um, a, a few guys, three guys had outbiked, two or three guys had outbiked me, but not by enough that I still held the overall lead um, after day two, which, again, it didn't really factor on my radar. It was more kind of like, haha, funny, funny, but, you know, fun to mm. sort of poke fun at the guys a little bit. Uh, I think my crew had some fun. Uh, with the boys up at the front on day two of the bike saying, she's old enough to be your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think we felt really good about it. And and day three was really from the time I hit enter to sign up for this event. Day three was the thing that kept me up at night and and really kind of scared the crap out of me Um, because I'm not a particularly good runner um, in Ironman. It's always the place I sort of try to hold on. And Um, So I don't have a lot of confidence. And and Julie said to me after night two, before day three, she's like, you're not a good runner, but she's like, you're an excellent slow runner. (laughs) (laughs) You're a backhanded compliment. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, I really took that to heart. I'm like, you know, she's right. Like when I lock in a pace, I can really do it for a long time. And so I just thought, okay, you don't have to be a great runner. You just have to be an excellent slow runner. And that's we went into day three with a with sort of a max pace that I was allowed to hit, um, and obviously slower than that was fine, but faster than that was not allowed. And and the the real plan was for me to run almost the entire first marathon all by myself, just to have that peace of mind and 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 sort of time to myself and the confidence that I could get through the first half of the run on my own. There was one section, Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong, it was maybe five k uh, section. Um, in the first marathon that the crew vehicles were not allowed. So Jordan did jump out at that point and, and run with me. Um, and that was at like mile seven or eight. So it was super early in on the run and things were going well. But Julie had said at the start of the day, look, the only reason I will put a pacer out with you before the halfway point of the run is if you're running too fast. Mm. So Jordan got in the van after the uh, no crew zone. Um, and about two miles later, 
uh, my strength coach, Kevin Purvis, uh, ran out and started running next to me. And I just kind of looked at him. He's like, you know why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they, you know, they put Kevin out to just sort of slow me down, calm me down a little bit. It's really easy uh, when you're feeling good to run too fast. And and for me, that was going to be the kiss of death because I'm just not a good enough runner to to fake it when, when I get tired. So it was really key to have, you know, again, my crew um, just to, to be there to, to right my wrongs, so to speak. And so basically from then on, I kind of had a pacer with me. Um, and, and for the most part, it was Jordan, um, who just was amazing. Like he'd hand me a bottle. He'd say, just take a sip. And I'd take a sip and he'd hand it back to me and say, try again, (laughs) take a little more, you can do better. Um, and, and really just, whatever he said, I really just tried to do it. Um, and, and it worked. So yeah, like I, oh yeah, I did the training and I did the work and, and it's my aerobic engine and probably my stubbornness and, and ability to suffer. Um, that was a big part of it, but I give full credit to my crew for managing me throughout the three days. Cause they did an amazing job. Well, after that um, sort of second day, the first and second day when you were leading, were you in competitive mode? Uh, obviously, it's nice to be beating the guys, but was this uh, for you a competitive endeavour to to try to beat everybody, or was it more a personal endeavour just to kind of get through it um, as best you could? Um, honestly, people ask going into it, like, what are your goals? And, and legitimately, I'd say my goals are to finish and to not die. And everyone would be like, oh, haha, yeah, just like that. Isn't that funny? But no, that was really true. Like, I wanted to finish and I wanted to not die. I, I had no concept of um, who the other athletes even were. Um, you know, I, I really didn't. I mean, I certainly hoped that I would win the women's race, but I, I didn't. I didn't go in there thinking that there were just were too many other problems to solve before you get to the finish line to know the end result, to be able to have that be, yeah, certainly a goal, but to have it play any kind of role in my mind during the three days of competition. In fact, Julie had said to me after night two, we had just a little meeting, just the two of us um, without the crew. And, and she said, you know, going into tomorrow, if you average, and I forget what the pace was, it was something like 11 minutes and 55 seconds a mile. If you can average that for the run, you will break the world record. Mm. And I lit- I literally looked at her as if she'd shot my dog. I was like, why would you tell me that? Like, why would you <laughs> take it back? Like, I don't want to know that. Um, because I-, I didn't even know that there were records for this. I mean, it- in retrospect, of course, there's records, but I, I had no concept of what they were or whether... It was, it just wasn't on my radar. Um, it really was the experience and even coming away from it and, and people will be like, oh no, you're, you're lying. But it, it is a hundred percent true. Like the records are great. And, and I'm so thankful that the performance, like I had that kind of performance in me, but the experience that I came away with was nothing about the records. It was about just the accomplishment and the gratitude, you know, to my crew for helping me through it and and the sense of camaraderie with the other athletes and all the other crews. Like like Jordan said, you you can try to explain this event, but you really you can't unless you've done it. <laughs> And Jordan, what what was your sort of observations of Dee Dee as she kind of went through the race, both um, physically and and at what stages did you feel like you really needed to jump in and either give her a G up or, or as she was mentioning, you know, uh, make sure the nutrition went down? Yeah, um, you know, it, 
it's a very adaptive response and for anyone that's like interested in doing this type of racing i i think that it does lend towards um the ability to just let go and um trust the process of what's going on around you um this race is also pretty interesting um for somebody with dd's personality because the course is very fast like um and that doesn't mean that the you know, it's <laughs> it's an easier course. In fact, I think for somebody like DD, it makes it a little bit harder because you don't have, you know, like a long downhill where you can disconnect mentally or um, a long period of section with a tailwind where you're able to just, like, focus on getting calories. And instead, your head is kind of in the game the whole time. And um, you have to um, be willing to adapt whatever your strategy is to an athlete that has to think like that for days upon days, right? And I think that that was... Um, just more uh, mindful watching um, of body position and you know just overall responses and if uh, if the person that you're trying to help is uh, happy or if they're you know too happy if they're too excited <laughs> uh, because you, you just want to stay kind of as mellow as possible <coughs> but at the same time stay focused and I, I was watching um, on day one and I was actually quite happy when that um that weather came in on the swim because it's nice to have something hit you early in the race that shows you that this race is out of your control and that it's not about this result. It's it's about you getting to that line in the best shape as you can, because those little adversities will pop up for the rest of the race. Um, and just being able to respond to them on your own personal level is I think a, a good way to approach the race. Uh, as as the race then progressed, you know, it, it was a dialogue between uh, Julie, me, and Dee Dee as to, like, what to do when and how to kind of um, approach different aspects of it. Um, and I don't think we, uh, there was, there was any regrets on the race plan because it was evolving. I think when you go into a, a race with the set agenda, um, this is what you do here, and then this is um, your pace for this section. You kind of are able to give yourself a little bit more of a pass or fail. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you're constantly just trying to um, adapt like Dee Dee did, um, and, you know, from our perspective as well, is it's a lot of fun. But um, I also just love running numbers, like percentages. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that comes from my swim club days. So, you know, constantly recording all the calories in my mind and, playing um you know everything from how many electrolytes she was taking in to um if we're basing off fats or if we're basing off simple sugars and manipulating those so that the body has a little bit of a break on occasion um mm-hmm. you know the you can only run off like sports nutrition for so long and mm. you have to be willing to take steps back when it comes to taking calories in so that you have the energy going forward and uh it it was just a lot of fun to be able to um see the outside perspective after you know only a couple months ago being the athlete that was in her position um (laughs) i think that the biggest concern obviously for all of us was day three um it wasn't a matter of like when things went south or or if things would go south i think everyone who's ever done an ultraman your first time it's going to happen like you're you're not going to know what that feeling is like even if you're a hundred mile runner because because it's different going into 
that double marathon when you've ridden well, when you've swam well, when you're tired and you're chafed and there's other things that are, you know, contributing to that, um, muscle fatigue. So we were evaluating that and just had backup plans for how to approach it. And it was, uh, I think it was executed the best we possibly could given, uh, the situation. I just wonder, um, what did that race teach you that Ironman hasn't taught you? Um, well, it's a, it's a completely, again, it's a, it's a completely different experience to Ironman again, because it's so it's shared with your crew. Um, it's been, it's interesting because triathlon is such an individual sport. Um, and both Jordan and I coming from, from swim backgrounds, again, swimming is an individual sport. Um, but when I swam at, at Stanford university, um, our, our coach was really a big advocate for the team making each of us better as individuals and that we were never going to be as good individually um, if we weren't good as a team. Mm. And especially in my senior year, um, I graduated in 1992, which was the Barcelona Games year. Mm. Um, and, and we had the potential, I would say, better than 50% of our team had the ability to make the Olympic team. It was certainly not for certain. And there were certainly some swimmers who, you know, were shoe-ins barring catastrophe to make the Olympic team. But there were at least 50% of the women on that team had the potential to make the Olympic team. But in order to do it, we were going to have to beat each other, right? So if I was going to go, that meant that the woman that I trained with day in and day out wasn't, right? So mm. it created this really strange dynamic. And, and somehow we overcame it and we ended up putting five or six women on, on the Olympic team. And it was, it was a great triumph, even for those of us that didn't make it. And so it was a real lesson to me and the power of a team and how in an individual sport, you can really rely on each other to become better. Um, and, and I think way more than Ironman does, Ultraman exemplifies that. And that's not only I mean, obviously, the the intensity in terms of the relationship with your own crew, but with the other athletes out there and the camaraderie and the mutual support that we're giving each other, even though we're racing one another, is like nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that part of it was just like one of the really, really special things. And it's it's left me in my mind thinking, like, how can we bring that to Ironman just a little bit? Like, Ironman is just much more, it's just a pure competition. And yes, there's camaraderie because we all share a lifestyle and a passion for the sport. But really to have that, I don't I want to say vulnerability, but vulnerability and, and reliance on one another is, is was made Ultraman just like nothing else. Mm, nice. Well, we, we did want to ask you a little bit about Ironman now as well, and uh, because you get to watch uh, an awful lot of Ironman these days. Um, so I, I was really getting, I, I marvel, and, and Bevan and I have both said this before, that for you guys to be able to talk for, you know, eight to nine to maybe it's even seamless ten seamless hours. Story, it's so good it's, and we, we can talk. Mental. I, I know that you do get a few little breaks here and there, but it, it seems pretty infrequent. So I guess how, how did you get into that? And um, and what sort of preparation do you do for the for each sort of Ironman that you're going into? Um, I, I, randomly, it was 2018. Um, I was racing Ironman Boulder, um, and I got a call race week, and they asked me to come down to, to the office 
because uh, they had something they wanted to talk to me about. They're like, are, are you busy? And I was like, huh, I'm racing an Ironman in three days. No, I've got nothing going on. Sure, I'll be right down. <laughs> um, and so I came down and they told me about this partnership they, they'd entered into with Facebook for the Ironman Now channel um, on Facebook Watch and how they were going to start broadcasting races and would I be interested in, in commentating. And I thought, wow, that sounds that sounds remarkable. Like, I would love that. I was a little intimidated because I hadn't really done it before. I had done commentary for the 70.3 worlds the prior year, um, but took a very sort of backseat um, to the um, other commentators in, in the booth. So I had some experience, but certainly not. And that was, again, 70.3. So you're talking less than half the race time. So to go into my first race was, it was intimidating to think of like, I have to talk and be articulate and thoughtful and creative about this sport for the next nine hours. Um, how's that going to go? But I really love it. Like, I think it just speaks to the passion that I have for the sport that I am, I am the biggest tri geek out there and I could talk <laughs> for hours and hours on end about it because I love it so much. Um, and we have a great team. Um, my co-commentators, we, we really, it is a team because we make mistakes all the time. And so, you know, as, as co-commentator, you, you poke fun at the mistake and cover it up and, and make it right. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you just, you work together because you're out there together talking and, and it's, it's not, it really is not, it's not easy. Um, but it's a great team and I've learned a lot. Um, again, just like I would imagine, and I hope that in crewing at Ultraman Florida, that Jordan might've learned a little bit about like things that he might do differently strategically next time and, and watching Ironman after Ironman and after Ironman, you learn things in how people like risks people take that either play off or don't play off and, and coming back from adversity in the middle of races. There's so many lessons that we just get to watch every week that we, we broadcast a race. So it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, in terms of preparation, we know our race schedule, um, and when we'll be commentating. And so we keep an eye on start lists and we certainly do a detailed history of the athletes um race results and also check out their social feed if they've been training elsewhere just to have talking points uh we watch pre-watch all of the interviews that the crew does um, before the race and then in certain circumstances most recently uh ironman new zealand um you have a phonetics call to learn how to pronounce yeah. things yeah. like Topa and too funny Toa. Trust, uh, trust me. Uh, we're Kiwis, and half of us don't know how to pronounce any of the words. So you yeah. guys did pretty well. Yeah, well, it was crazy because even even with the Topa thing, there was a woman who literally she said, "I'm pulling my hair out. It's Toe P A W, not Toe P A H." I'm like, but what you don't understand is that in American English. P-A-W and P-A-H are the same thing unless you live in Brooklyn. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah. And so we do, like, we try. We take correction well. And if we're pronouncing someone's name wrong and their family's chiming in, they're like, no, you're doing it wrong. We 100% appreciate it. But that's, I mean, it's part of the prep work and learning the mm. culture and learning um, some of the scenery on the course that that uh, that you might be taking, you know, taking in as we, you know, motor by and, um, so really trying to bring the sport to everyone who can't be there on race course, whether those are new fans to the sport or family and, and, um, training partners and whatever of the athletes out racing. Just, just how much prep do you do leading into a race? It, re it really depends on the race. It depends on, 
I mean, if it's a single gender field, if it's a pro men only, um, there obviously aren't as many athletes to research. Um, obviously, for an event like Kona, um, where every athlete has the potential to factor in in some capacity, it's a lot more work. So it, it really depends. It depends on the race, but it can be anywhere from maybe an hour or two to, I mean, for Kona, it takes weeks. I'm doing weeks of preparation for Kona. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Jordan, just um, finishing off, you know, uh, Dee just mentioned there that hopefully you learned a little bit um, from observing her race. Uh, I mean, was there anything that you um, learnt from Dee's experiences that you'll either take forward yourself or um, that you would take forward if you're supporting another athlete further down the track? I. Uh, well, yeah, there's a, there, actually quite a bit. Um, the first lesson, of course, is that, you know, I got to keep my swim game on if Didi's going to be doing any more of these races. <laughs> got to make sure you still get the out of the water there. Um, no, seriously, though, like, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was fantastic to watch and just to, to see. Um, and it has been every time I've been to one of these events. I think the first talking point there is just that, like, if, if you've been in the sport a while and you're really kind of curious about something different that's maybe a speaks to your internal motivation, like go check out these races. Um, you know, Ultraman Canada still has spots for this year. Um, Ultraman Arizona was recently just canceled. It was supposed to take place this weekend actually coming up. Um, and it is going to be opening spots in November as well as, um, they're opening, a total of 50 spots next year um it's a very unique and dynamic um event that you you just get to feel something different you get to see a side of the sport that uh you just don't get to see anywhere else um as far as the actual like you know technical um aspects of watching a race develop i was really um reassured in the way that i um, I, I guess appreciated just mental fortitude. You see people that struggle with flats and um, you know mechanical issues. People who maybe even didn't make the cutoff on day one, but somehow they they get their head together for the next day. And it goes to show you that this race is like a very very um, or right? you just have to be able to. Um, find the strength within yourself to overcome and to move forward and i think a lot of times it's so easy to to forget that um we <laughs> I, just to to recap recently i was at a training camp here uh in vegas and i was there with of course matt hansen who's on our team he's the uh the iron man world record holder and he's won compiche this past weekend uh, on the last day, Julie had told him that we were finishing the camp after a really hard session. Uh, we were going to finish camp with a 3.8K time trial in the pool, which we weren't. Matt was told we were, and everyone else knew we weren't. Um, and he's the strongest mental guy I know. But we went into that swim, and I have to say, I outswam him by farther in that one session than I ever have before. Normally, he's outswimming me. Um, and it was just a really interesting wake up coming from florida and then seeing that kind of like micro exposure to to a situation that like what you tell yourself in your inner narrative is what will actually make the situation become um either the success or the you know the failure that you 
envision and it just goes to show that that mental component is quite hard quite uh significant uh when it comes to fueling you know i'm always still open to like chatting with people who are interested in this distance about different options obviously it is very different for other people but you do have to take different um different things into uh account when it comes to one what your uh electrolytes are and how much you're taking of them but also what your sugars are and if you're using you know two chain sugars higher multidextrins um things that need to uh, have ebsens flows throughout your day so that you don't try relying on just one thing um, mm. and that that's different for everyone as well but i just say the more you can kind of play with that in your training the better you're going to do um, and then also i think dd and i can both speak to the fact that like you don't need to go and do uh, like these ridiculous long like workouts uh, to be successful <laughs> at this distance. Um, you know, I don't think I did my longest run before worlds was three and a half hours. Um, did you, I don't know what yours was. Yeah. Like three hours. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's ways to really just manipulate and, uh, structure the training so that you aren't breaking yourself down. Uh, that's the biggest mistake I think I see when I go to these events you talk to people and they're like oh i did my seven hour run on the treadmill last week and i was like oh. I'm like are you like no don't like you're just gonna it, end up doing more damage than good well it's interesting because they just um i guess people were just uh invited to the ultraman world championship for 2020 and somebody posted on their social media feed First long swim done, 5K in the bank. Next time it's 8K, working my way up to 15K. And I felt like saying, why are you going to do a 15K swim? Like, <sighs> no, you're just going to blow your shoulders out. Like, I thought it was ridiculous. And it, it was a, it was an issue for me going in because I think had I been in charge of my own training, I probably would have been the guy going 15K in, the, in training to get ready for a 10K swim. And I was nervous that I was underprepared. Um, but, but again, Julie and Jordan were both like, you got this. Like, you've done what you need to do. You're ready to go. And, and it is really interesting to look at people. Um, an athlete that I coach uh, is planning on doing Ultraman Florida and bought like a pre-packaged Ultraman training plan through through Training Peaks, and it had mm. her doing like a, a, a like a fifty mile run in preparation for the race. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to be so broken! Like it was, <laughs> it was interesting to have gone through a, a cycle of it. But another thing that I wanted to add is when Jordan said it's such an individual endeavor. What fascinated me is that I had signed up for Ultraman Florida when Jordan ra was racing in Hawaii. And so I watched that race with great intent from a distance. But watching how strategic that was and how those guys at the front were racing, like they were racing it. So that wasn't just about keeping yourself going and, and, and monitoring your own pace. That was an actual race. And I think it's still pretty staggering to me that across that distance, it's still a race. Right. It really particularly for the men on that day, it came down to a race and, and being strategic and playing the cards at the right time. Um, and, and obviously, Jordan did it brilliantly and walked away with the win. But the fact that something of that magnitude can be considered like is a race and they are racing as much as, you know, enduring, I, I think is exciting for the future of this distance. Brilliant. Awesome, I guys. Think, sorry, I'm going to add in one more thing there. I also sure. just think that the the. This distance has a lot to offer a lot of people, but um, the biggest 
mistake I see is people just not showing up ready for the those first the first day on the bike, honestly, because uh, you know, you can get through the swim and most people will make the cutoff. There's times obviously you don't it's heartbreaking to see someone uh not make that first day cutoff. It really is. And if you're if you're kind of on the edge for making the cutoff and you're considering this distance, I'd say just give it another year. Like it's really um a supportive community when you do show up, but know what your your kind of pace is when you kind of go into that and like it, it is twelve hours for um every day and a lot can change throughout those periods. And then on day three, of course, like uh, from a strategic racing standpoint, like Dee Dee was just talking about, like a lot can change. The runners really lick their lips. <laughs> mm. um, it's not uncommon to lose an hour or two to the competition on the third day. Uh, so it's it's really dynamic. It's a different type of racing. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Brilliant, guys. So, Jordan, if people want to follow you, um, how can they do so? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on Instagram, still sharing my photos uh, at Jordan Bryden. Mm. Uh, Facebook, um actually a lot of a lot of your followers have reached out to me since so of course like keep following me that oh. i really uh love kind of like chatting with your guys' uh demographic for sure it's uh facebook.com slash commitment or just you can find me at jordan bride those are the two kind of easiest ways brilliant and and Didi, obviously we'll uh well we won't probably for the next couple of months but hopefully later on in the year we'll start to to hear you um hear your voice again on the ironman now coverage but in terms of any plugs you want to get out there for anything you're doing or, or any ways people can follow you uh yeah well instagram dd greasebauer it's i-e-s-b-a-u-e-r and same thing on facebook facebook slash dd greasebauer and uh yeah, we're slow to make plans for the rest of the year. I've got more commentary plans than I do race plans at the moment, but uh, we're putting it together and just trying to be patient with the recovery. Another lesson we've learned from Jordan is not to force that because it'll come back to bite you. So we're just being patient. And so I guess this whole lockdown thing has come sort of at an opportune time for me to make sure I'm getting the recovery that I need. But yeah, um, it's been it's been a, a great experience. I'm looking forward to get, getting back out on some Ironman race courses and possibly contemplating another Ultraman in my future as well. Oh, nice. Game on. Awesome. Thanks for your time, guys. <laughs> yeah, you rock. John, your thoughts? Ah, it's all good, Bevan. I still don't think I've got the the urge to it's do right. Ultraman. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, it's just not on my radar at the moment, but that's absolutely fine. I still respect what these guy, guys and girls go through to, to make the finish line. And I, whether it's Kona uh, Ultraman or whether it's Florida or whether it's Canada or wherever, the, the double marathon is uh, must be a very, very tough nut to crack. Yeah, it's a, it's a complete different beast. But tell you what, they make it sound pretty attractive, you know, like pretty cool stuff. So thanks for Didi and Jordan for coming on the show. Job, we've got another interview coming up. Uh, Dawson's going to be talking about the rankings, what's happening with the rankings of the Collins Cup. Sure, we don't know if the race will be happening, but if it is, here's Dawson talking about the rankings. Okay, guys, um, obviously lots of uncertainty around uh, the world of racing and what's going to be happening further down the track. But a few weeks ago, I, I reached out to good old Torsten, our, our geek analyst, um, for uh, a bit of an insight into where, what's happening with the rankings, because the, the rankings this year are important on a few fronts. Um, firstly, for the Collins Cup, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens there, but also with regards to the pros now um, being eligible for a prize purse um, at the end of the season which we had on the show a few weeks ago. So um, so we're going to have Torsten giving us a bit of insight as to what's been happening with those rankings. So welcome back to the show, as always, Torsten. 
Well, thanks for having me again. Always interesting to have something fun going on during the day when when we're in kind of well, not not quite lockdown for the virus at, at this point for us. <laughs> it's um, obviously uh, the weekend before last. We had Ironman New Zealand, which was um, a fantastic race and and has had some influence on on the rankings. So when we we last spoke to you, and I don't remember off the top of my head when it was, but it was shortly after the Collins Cup was was announced. Um, there's been there's a bit of racing since then. You know, there's been some seventy point threes. There's been Ironman New Zealand. Um, Challenge Monica, a few races in Australia. So maybe just b- before we sort of talk about what's been happening with the rankings, just remind people um, about how you actually calculate your rankings. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's not my rankings; it's the PTO World Rankings trademark. <laughs> um, mm. So um, there's there's a lot of um, back and forth and discussion uh, that that has been put into how the system works. Um, but the basis is uh, basically my analysis of how fast or slow a race has been. And uh, we use that to uh, come up with what we call uh, an adjusted ideal time. Um, the, the description that I always give for that is how fast would, would Frodo or, or Daniela be, have been able to go on that course uh, if she mm-hmm. was, if he was on, in, in big form, kind of a, a yardstick of what would an actual great performance look like. Uh, we equal that to 100 points, and then if you manage to go faster, which does happen once in a while, um, you get more than 100 points. If you're slower, then there's a grading scale down to, I think, 15% slower, zero points. As, as long as you're into that range, you get some points. Um, so that's one race. And uh, then we use basically the best four of your results from the last either 12 month. Uh, one of those can be a little bit older, can be up to 24 months. So we have four races that count for the total. And then we um, sum it all up and uh, bring it into the rankings. And no surprise that Daniela and um, uh, Frodo are on top of that. So it seems that it's somewhat useful way of ranking the athletes there. And so since since we last spoke, um, you know, what, what events have had um, any significant impact in terms of uh, athletes either moving up or down the scale? Well, we've had, as you mentioned, a, a couple of the smaller 70.3s. Um, and I should say that um, basically it doesn't matter which race you're racing in. Um, it's the same amount of points that you can get for doing well in a 70.3 and, or in an Ironman. And it should also be as as hard to score well in an Ironman as it is uh, in in a 70.3. So no preference for any distance or for a big race or for for a smaller race. Uh, Usually the the big fields such as Kona, when when you've got a a ton of good athletes racing there, that usually pushes people to to, uh, do better and to score more points. So... Uh, but but overall, 70.3s in Ironmans are the same scale. So, um, yeah, looking back, a um, couple of the results there, Challenge Wanaka was interesting because it confirmed that uh, Braden Curry is very likely going to be in the top four on the international side uh, with his race there, also with his uh, result in, uh, in Ironman New Zealand. Um, he just basically was able to uh, replace the points that he had last year with the points that he got from this year. Um, and that's also always one of the tricky things in the rankings if races, as we call it, age out, I mean, meaning that they get older than 12 months or 24 months. There's always something weird happening with the points. Uh, you may see a drop in points or someone who has another race coming in there might, might get an improvement there. Um, 
yeah, Braden kind of avoided that scenario of a racist dropping off and him dropping in the ranking. So he seems to be safe there. And then the big winners in New Zealand, uh, Joe Skipper and Teresa Adam, they, they scored really well in New Zealand and they solidified their positions. Uh, Teresa was already in the uh, top four for the internationals. She moved up in, into second place in the inter internationals now. So if the Collins Cup is going ahead, she'll be really hard to... to um, uh, you know, lose her spot in, in the international team. And Joe, as the winner in New Zealand on the male side, he uh, scored well and he actually moved into fourth place um, in the Europeans now, um, um, jump, uh, uh, dumping um, um, Javier Gomez out of the top four there and actually being in a very good position also to uh, get, a, get a slot there. So those mm -hmm. are the main results there that I would see. Uh, there's a couple of movements where uh, you have You've got athletes like um, yeah, yeah, some of the those that did well in the 70.3s. Uh, Hannah Wells might be one to mention. Uh, she really raced well. Uh, she moved up in the rankings, but that was more a result of um, her old results not being that good. Um, so mm. she was able to improve her position. Uh, she's still not uh, quite there to uh, make it into the Collins Cup picks. But, yeah, well, if, if we had other interesting races uh, happening that are canceled now, who knows what might have happened and certainly mm. big impact on the athletes that would have looked for a spot there. Um, if South Africa happened, if Texas had happened, uh, those would all have been races that might have uh, switched the rankings around a bit more, especially for the U S team. Mm. So maybe give us a bit of quick rundown on um, each of the teams in terms of who, who are currently sitting in the, the automatic slots for, for each sort of, uh, not nation, but each each team. Um, so give us give us a rundown on who's who's in the top four because they, they are automatic selections. They'd be if, if uh, we pick the, uh, the teams based on the rankings as they are now, yeah. So Europe, um, one mentioned there is um, some of the British people were complaining that they're not in Europe anymore, at least to my geography uh, knowledge. That is still the case. They left the European Union, but I think they're still part of the team Europe. <laughs> so yeah. we've got, we've got uh, Daniela in the female side, uh, Lucy Charles Barclay, uh, Anna Haug and Holly Lawrence. So two Brits, uh, a Swiss and a German there. Um, on the male side, it, it's, uh, again, two, uh, two Germans, two Brits, uh, Jan Frodeno, Sebi Kienle, and um, Alistair Brownlee and Joe Skipper would, would be the British there. Uh, with Alistair Brownlee, I mean, that's one of the things that's always interesting is we're not 100% sure whether he would uh, actually decide to go for the, for the Collins Cup if he got a slot uh, with his um, plans to uh, prepare for the, uh, for the Olympics. And that's one of the very few reasons why I would think that athletes might decline a slot because it's a really good payday for almost anyone who would who would make it into the the Collins Cups there. And, and obviously, if someone doesn't accept their slot, then it just automatically rolls down to the next person. Yes, I think that's uh, the way it's going to be. If the automatic slots get declined, they roll down to fifth, sixth, uh, and so on if needed. Um, I'm sure we're going to uh, cut it at some point uh, from rolling to 20th or so, um, <laughs> but um, I don't. I don't think that's that's even going to be. I, I'd be surprised if we see more than one or two slots uh, rolling down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in terms uh, of the other nations, you want to go with the nationals, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, female team would be uh, Sarah Crowley, uh, Teresa Adam, uh, Carrie Lester, and in fourth it's Paula Findlay. Um, Paula is still. 
just just four points ahead of Ellie Salthouse. So uh, there might be some some changes if uh, we had upcoming races there. Um, and on the man's side, uh, same thing again. Three that are pretty far ahead: Lionel Sanders, Cameron Worth, uh, Braden Curry. And then fourth is Sam Appleton at this point. Again, relatively close in front of a bunch of others. Uh, yeah, might, we might see some change there, but uh, at least uh, Lionel Cam and Braden are pretty safe. And Team USA, um, you know, <laughs> um, so, some interesting discussion there um, is um, they seem to be overmatched if you just go by the rankings. But um, I think all of the racers there uh, would uh, very much disagree with uh, any any kind of uh, statement going that way. So we have Heather Jackson, uh, Sky Munch, Chelsea Sodero, Sarah Piampiano, um, all of them really tough fighters. And same on the men's side, uh, Ben Hoffman, uh, Rudy Van Berg, Tim O'Donnell, and currently Matt Hansen in, in fourth. Um, with his win in Campeche, uh, he probably uh, pretty much secured that, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that, that will work out. Um, again, all of them really interesting to race. I mean, Rudy um, would be keen to show that he's he's uh, a top-notch 70.3 racer at this point and able to beat anyone. So um, even if they're not the favorites on paper, I'd say Team USA is, is certainly someone who will make the racing, if it goes ahead, really interesting. Mm, awesome stuff so guys if you want to check it all out go to the collinscup.com and the rankings are on there and uh yeah we're, we're, the, the idea was to have uh, fairly regular updates with torsen as as events sort of unfolded obviously that's not going to happen at least over the next uh you know uh, four to six weeks but we'll see where this all leads and hopefully we have a collins cup at least somewhere sometime this year so torsen as always uh thanks for your input and if you want to check out torsen's website go to tryrating.com uh and and that's got all the information you need to know on the pro races um, as and when they happen and also to go and geek out on anything that's happened in the past. <laughs> so, Torsten, thanks as always for your time. We know you're uh, we know you're going to maybe have a slightly quieter time over the next few weeks, but um, we know when, when things crack back into it, you'll be on it. So thanks as yeah, always for your well, input. Honestly, I'd, I'd rather have a lot of races to look at, and, I mean, it's a really tricky situation for the population in general here in Europe and uh, across the globe that hopefully everyone stays stays healthy there and it's also a bit of a bummer for uh, me who likes to follow the races and but even more so for uh, the pro athletes that would be racing out there age groupers as well but pro athletes who depend on on income mm. for the races and who don't have a chance of uh, making any money from racing in the next well hopefully just uh, just 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 six weeks or so um, and hopefully things will be on up and up again and uh, yeah hopefully the impact uh, for each of these athletes is not going to be so that they can't continue uh, working as a pro athlete any longer yes mm. yeah, awesome Torsten thanks as always and we'll um, thanks we'll guys touch well we'll see you in Samarin hopefully <laughs> yeah 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 cool man okay right. we're gonna crack Bye -bye. on the rest of the show and um yeah we'll we'll be in touch when uh once we get a few more races on the radar and see what happens absolutely thank you could the Collins Cup work even with what's happening right now well I suppose so not, I mean it's not mass participation is it it's not, but it's at, at a mass participation event in, um, alongside the championship. Um, but I guess right now people can't really travel, so in that oh, regard, it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't work. But who knows? We'll we'll see where that goes. I think um, 
It's the first weekend of. Uh, Here's a question for you. Last week, last weekend of May. Although I know the obvious, it's kind of going to be pretty obvious. But what are you will you be most gutted about for the, from the triathlon world this year? Uh, probably the Collins Cup, but it's closely followed by the Olympics. If that doesn't happen, oh, oh so you'd say the Collins Cup before the Olympics? No, probably no, no, probably not. No, the Olympics definitely. Um, but yeah, the Collins Cup, uh, Kona is going to be there every year, and so if for some reason that didn't happen, that would be disappointing. Um, but the other stuff is probably yeah slightly more exciting for me at this stage. I think the Collins Cup. I, I kind of agree. Olympics definitely number one. The Collins Cups because we need to get off the ground, and yeah, and, and there's that fascination that you kind of don't. I don't know what's going to happen with it. Whether yeah. it's whether the racing is going to be interesting and and what sort of coverage they do bring to it. So there's that, that interest factor as well as uh, look. I think bloody health, as Torsten said. You know, um, we've we've talked about race directors and and the event industry really struggling. What about the poor pro pro athletes? They've got no money coming in um, uh. because they can't race. Yeah, and, and, and as you were saying, we will lose a few. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. like, there, there are those yeah. ones who are right on that borderline of, you know, being able to make enough money, and one year out of the game is enough to make them go mm. back to the kind of the normal life or you know to non pro life. So it is going to be interesting to see the effects of this time, and, and it just depends how long it goes for, doesn't it? That's the thing is that's mm. the, that's the like you know in Christchurch. Christchurch as a city has had some pretty tough events happen in the last 10 years. But the thing is, the event happens very quickly and then it's more the after effect of the event. The thing about this moment is we just don't know when it ends. And, mm. we, we, you know, we know there's an end, but when? And that definitely makes it definitely more challenging, doesn't it? It does indeed. Okay. A few people have been challenging themselves this week on Wanger of the Week. Uh, I've got to say, one activity stands out above all others. Whether it was, in fact, an activity or not, I'm not sure. But Rebecca Spears, I used to go to a, a girl at school, was called Rebecca Spears, um, but she's got a private, private uh, identity here, so I can't actually check if this activity happened. If it did, it was 30 hours long, 30 hours, zero minutes, and zero seconds. If she did 30 hours, nice work. Oh. It, could be a, it could be a little bit of a GPS error, but if it's not, Full credit to you. Bevan, do you want to pluck out a number and we'll see if we can find something else? I'm going to else? say 10 because I was just on the background on some website. Trump says 10 is enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shane, Shane Duffy did 21 hours of training off 10 activities, swam 2 hours and 25 minutes, rode 13 hours and 1 minute, and ran 5 hours and 48 minutes. He's uh, He's got a picture of like an orangutan on, on the front there. He's from Fitzroy Falls in New South Wales, Australia, and he the the achievements recently finished tenth overall on the wave uh, wave vale close climb in six fifty nine. Getting a tenth overall is pretty good on uh, Strava. So nice work, uh, Shane Duffy. You are our winger of the week. week. Okay, John. Just one little question and answer here. We were last week we were talking on the show about how it was quite a fast race in Ironman New Zealand. We got an email here from Terry, and he just said. Having recently completed Ironman New Zealand 2020, I was intrigued to hear you guys refer to the bike course as faster. I did not enjoy the changes made to the bike course. It, to me, it was much slower and more technical than we have raced there previously. Then there were also the changes made in T1 and T2, more running to accommodate for the 70.3 athletes. And you actually went on Facebook and put a post up about this, John, didn't you? 
I did because I thought, oh, well, that's one person's opinion, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I thought, I wonder what other people thought of the changes. And um, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, one, Richard Swan was saying that he was uh, heard the commentators praising the mass start. And I do praise I'm in New Zealand for keeping a mass start. A lot of people did say it was a bit congested out there, but that was more not necessarily the changes around the course, but more so that you had the 70.3 athletes out there as well. So um Overall, um, uh, you know, a couple of the changes they made is the, the hill was slightly uh, less than what it had been previously. But one of the positive changes they made that good old Flower Power Nadine Voice said uh, that she actually loved the changes um, because then you get to got, get more crowd interaction the way that they structured the bike course. You could go past the crowd a few more yeah, times. So she she enjoyed it. So it certainly did look like a fast day. Whether or not that was necessarily the conditions or the course, I'm not 100% sure. Um, yeah. Everybody's, uh, yeah, it was one person's opinion, and others said it was okay. Other people said it was congested. Um, so that was that. That was that. Was that. <laughs> That's the facts of the matter. Okay, John, we've got a new patron, Eric. How do you say that last name? I think it's. Uh, the airport, Pr- John. Prelip. Okay, let's see what Apple says. Prelip. Come on, Apple. Where are you? Where it's are you, manager? P-R-I-L-I-P-P's. Eric Prillip. Um, and I managed to, I did a bit of uh, bit of stalking of Eric online just to sort of find yeah. out a little about himself. And it sounds like he's a pa- fairly passionate about his cycling. So unless you've got a really good uh, nickname there, Bevan, uh, I'm going to call him Stelvio because uh, people that love cycling no doubt watch any of the big tours and the Stelvio Pass is one of the most famous uh, climbs in the 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 Giro which is a tour of Italy which has incidentally been uh, postponed or cancelled I believe uh, so Stel- Eric Stelvio Prilip well I'm looking at his, you found his profile on some website yes uh, Outrival Racing um, and he's done, he's got a 1006 at Ironman Wisconsin, 1020 the year before. So I'm thinking for Philip, he's trying to get under, oh, sorry, Eric, he's trying to get under that 10 hour mark. He's pretty close because mm. that was a personal record there. And he, look, like, if you look at it here, you look at all his races. So Eric, I reckon you go, go ride the Stelvio, uh, try to, f- here you go. Oh, John, your pause. Yeah, no, Eric, Eric, I think you go, go ride the Stelvio. Yep. And uh, and then if you do that, sub 10, no problem whatsoever. Stelvio Pass is, is a fantastic climb. I've done it once before. Good times, rock and roll. Sub 10. What, you, how long does it, take, does it take you 10 hours? No, but it's uh, – let me just find out how far the Stelvio Pass is. Bevan, you, you tell us about your weekend, and I'll find out how, how long the Stelvio Pass is. Oh, no, I'm just looking at here. He's, he's – he's, Looking at look here. I did my first triathlon in 2008 and was hooked immediately. Since then, I've done numerous races throughout the country. When not working, sleeping, or training, I enjoy cooking, cross country, and downhill skiing and spending time outside. When I need recovery, I enjoy watching sports and a routine uh, hard. I root hard for the Vikings, Wild, and uh, Iowa State Cyclones. Although they always seem to let me down. <laughs> You're like a Warriors fan. Um, I'm also a professional, a fan of professional cycling, and watch part of just about every race on show on TV. 
So the Stelvio Pass is a mountain pass in northern Italy bordering Switzerland, uh, Italy and Switzerland with an elevation of 2,757 metres above sea level. It's the highest paved mountain pass in the Eastern Alps and the second highest in the Alps, seven metres below the cold Isaran, which I've also ridden over. Um, but the Stelvio is, is an epic climb. We did it on Epic Camp uh, when we went over there for our camp in Italy in... Oh, I think it was maybe 2011, something like that. And this pass, if you ever see some pictures of the Stelvio, the top section is just this constant series of switchbacks. And you look, look over the edge, and I still remember the day, had Melina hurtling up the climb behind me, and I could see each switchback. I could kind of look over the edge of the road and sort of see how far behind he was. We got to the top, and it started snowing. There was like two or three metres snow on either side of the road, and it was so cold that we couldn't actually uh, bike down the mountain. Jeez. Jeez, jeez, Louise, what's happening behind you there, John? I'm hearing ringing. I tell you what, my uh, my phone is running hot with the uh, event cancellations. Well, that's the worst thing for you, you poor bugger, isn't it? Because it's like now you've got a lot of work dealing with people because they've cancelled. Oh yeah, so and you're not getting the reward of doing the work. Oh. No, so. Uh, Life will go on. So, uh, good. Thanks, Eric, for becoming a patron of the show. Appreciate your support and uh, good luck for whatever is in front of you this season. Thank you, John. We're going to say, first of all, thank you to all the patrons of the show. You really help us in what we're doing, especially in this time. You know, it's definitely tough times for all of us involved. So, thank you to the patrons. Uh, if you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Go through the process. You get a gift. You go on a draw to win a trip to Kona with the boys. Um, also, if you want to get some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. Great place to get some coaching. If you want to check out my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. Also, other content such as Age Group of the Week, cool websites and other feedback. Email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your gossip. Uh, I was away for the weekend. as set up in Kaiteri. Kind of cool for us. We can fly up there, just Belinda and I, and just get a little... Uh, God, we got a crappy little high car. I tell oh, you. Did you? There was times I was wondering if we were going to get anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and got a high car and just went over to the batch for a couple of nights, which was fantastic with our kids. Um, and... Yeah, recommend if anybody goes up that neck of the woods. We did a walk on top of the Taka Hill, which was fantastic. But this was a this is like a fifteen to seventeen k climb to get to the top, and we got up there and it was cloudy. Oh, was and it? And then we did a lap, and but halfway through, we'd gone past the highest point where you would have got these stunning views. The cloud disappeared, and we'd missed the missed the fantastic views. But still, good times and good chance to get away to one of the best parts of New Zealand. So that was uh, that was the extent of my weekend. And since then, it has been uh, got home yesterday afternoon, and it's been all go since then. What's it like when you when you've got kids? Because you had three days, did you? Or two and a half days. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Other, oh, than, other than the obvious, John. <laughs> oh, the obvious. You read a book. You don't have to. You just you do what you want to do. It's uh, it's bliss and something I would strongly encourage everybody to try to do. We always make sure we do it at least once a year, if not a couple of times, where we can get away. Oh, and it's the best uh, thing for a relationship too, because yeah. you, you stop and you reconnect, don't you? Mm. So I just read books. Went outside. Went. What do you read? I've just started the Elton John book, and oh, I've just uh, and I've just finished this one that my sister-in-law, my brother, actually lives in Nigeria. Um, with a, he's got a Nigerian wife, and got, read a book that she gave Belinda last year about a Nigerian guy. It was fiction uh, who had four different wives and what they got on um, behind his back. It was quite oh, really? interesting. Did, yeah. they, did, did they know? Was it one of those ones where they all lived together, or was it one of the ones where they didn't know there was four wives? <laughs> Uh, oh wait, you cut out. Say that again. No, they all live together, and uh, they all live together. And I don't. I, I'll, I'll have a, I haven't got the title here, but oh. it was it was an interesting read. 
Bevan, what's happening in your world? John, I my first 50th. Ooh. Yeah, I know, I know. I know, my first yeah. friend turned 50 last weekend, and uh, we had a plank competition at the 50th. Oh, you'd be good at that. I'd suck at that. Well, I, well, I was good, but in the end, it came down to me and this other girl, Alana, and uh, she, we truced after 12 minutes. Right. We were both yeah. looking. We were both looking like we were having a a fit. We were shaking yeah. like crazy, and we were both pretty gritty. And she goes, "Do you want to call a truce?" And I was like, "I maybe have to get her." But then I was yeah. kind of got to that point where you start to look like a cock if you beat her. Yeah. And but I'm not saying I could have beaten her because we we're both really struggling. Um, so we called a truce at 12 minutes. So I was. <laughs> but I tell you what, oh my god, you feel it the next day. Yes. Oh, it's such yeah. a good movement. The world records eight hours, John. It's crazy. That is, how do you do that? And also, how do you get good at it? Because it's bloody boring. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not like you're riding on a bike for eight hours in beautiful nature with your mates. It's just sitting in one position for eight hours and, oh, bugger that for a joke. It's not my kind. A bit like Ultraman at the moment, not quite my cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. Uh, any other gosh, John? That's it. Looking forward to getting Legends out next week. And uh, given I might have a bit more time on my hands over the next few months, maybe we'll get a few more out. Do you know the thing with Legends? Um, you know, because we interviewed Dave Scott last week, we'll put it out next week. Dave only beat him, Mark only beat him once, didn't he? I know, and we'll go through this. I don't think Dave Scott gets enough credit for what he's done for our sport because yeah. he lifted the bar so many times yeah. and he beat Dave Scott, he beat Mark Allen so many times. And Mark Allen cracked or, or blew up, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, and it, yeah, look out for the interview. It's really good. He's a great interview anyway because he's kind of open soul. But um, yeah, they'll be coming out. We'll do that with the intro next week. So we're coming out next week just after release of the show. But check it out. But it was just, he kind of brought up the point that no one ever brings up 1988 or, or 87. You know, the yeah. years where, where he overtook Mark in some great races. And mm. it was 89 was the big one, wasn't it? 89 was a big one, yeah. uh, and and then there was yeah the, through through the mid 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 80s was when they had their big uh, big battles. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.